to begin today. I know that, that many of you will likely be doing something like this, um, like something like what we're about to do on Wednesday. But before we get started here with Remembrance Day just coming up, can we just together as a body of Christ before God um, take a minute of silence to remember those who, who fought and the many who paid the ultimate price for our freedom in this country? Just for a minute. We just want to say thank you, Lord, for your gift of freedom to us in this country and for the, the friends, the parents, grandparents, other relations, and, and strangers to us by whose sacrifice freedom for many was won. So, Lord, for their sake, for our children's sake, for the sake of your son, Jesus, strengthen those, we pray, who are working both at home and abroad for peace. Grant them courage and wisdom, we pray, in this your work, even as we look forward to the day when in coming again, Jesus will bring an everlasting peace. And so now, Lord, as we open your word together, we ask that you would grant all of us, myself included, hearts and minds that are open to your instruction. Teach, encourage, convict and empower that we might delight in your will to the glory of your name. Amen. Um, when, when Joelle and I uh, first found out that we were going to have a child, um, most of our friends agreed, I think, that Joelle was going to have to be the disciplinarian because I was going to be like so much putty in my children's hands. Um, now, the fact of the matter is, uh, time has, 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 has it, it's turned out that I was actually the one that sort of fell most naturally into the sort of bad cop role in our, in our, in our parenting. And, and that was okay with me. But, but even as, as the relatively hard-nosed parent, I have got to confess, I... I am a sucker sometimes. I am a sucker sometimes. I was determined, especially, see, especially, there's, okay, there are so many things I need to repent of, thoughts that I had before I was a parent about other parents, so many things. 
of which I have now had occasion to repent. One of those things, especially as a musician, was that I am not going to have my kids listening to some of that, that kiddie stuff. I mean, what on earth is that? I'm going to have my kids listening to proper music. When, until that one time we were driving home from Kamloops, and the only thing that would get a five-year-old Miles to stop wailing was to put Baby Beluga on repeat <laughs> for three hours the whole way home. I, I, I remember another time um, as I was, as I was um, reading with, with Eva, my middle child, um, who is, uh, she's a piece of work. She, but, but I was reading with her, and we were reading a book called... <laughs> Called, see, called Fancy Nancy and the Ooh La La Beauty Spa. <laughs> and and, and we, were, we were reading this book, and, and like next thing I knew, I was lying on my back with cucumber slices on my eyes, being earnestly told by my daughter that I would, I would simply love the new me. And <laughs> sometimes... I, I can find myself as a parent being played and being played hard by my kids. Now, now our Father in Heaven loves us, loves us deeply, loves us much more than I could ever love my kids, and He loves to give us all kinds of good gifts, but He will not be played or manipulated. Don't get me wrong, there are times when I wish He could be manipulated, there are times when he, in, in my wisdom, I find myself thinking, come on, God, you know, don't you know what's good for you? You know, don't you, don't you know that if you just did what I want when I wanted, you know, demonstrated, um, you know, the, the right kinds of signs and wonders in timely ways, that surely all of my friends would believe in you? Um, and, I, and I think sometimes, I, I think that sometimes, I, I confess that I do, but, but the fact of the matter is that God is not some sort of a divine trained seal. He is not a, a cosmic vending machine where I, you know, naturally as one of his favorites, simply insert the right prayer and, you know, poof, out pops the miracle of my choice. The fact of the matter is God is God. Today we're going to be looking at the Psalms Again, you know, ask a musician to preach, and you can't be too surprised if once in a while you wind up in the Psalms now and again. But the, the book of Psalms is, is really the hymn book of Scripture, and God in his mercy has provided his people with this collection of poems, songs to express his heart to us and our hearts to him. And we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 115 today. So, if you are able, please stand while I read the psalm. Excuse me. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men, 
They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. I missed a part, sorry. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, for he is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence, It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. The psalmist begins, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Following Following God is never about our glory, but it's about God's. The Apostle Paul responded to to some petty infighting in the church, some tribalism, some of the tribalism that occasionally takes place by teaching the Corinthians that it is not human leadership that mattered, but rather the power and the glory of God. He said, Paul sows the seed, Apollos waters it, but it's God who brings the harvest. We are invited to play our roles in the coming of God's kingdom, but the kingdom is God's and the victory is God's. And that is because even such roles as we play, we play only by God's grace. The psalmist makes it clear that the victory of the kingdom is a victory of love and of faithfulness too. And then he goes on, uh, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. What, what we do as believers is not always going to make sense to, to others. Our world tends to order itself after things, it, 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 after things that we can see and hear and touch. Um, our God cannot be seen corporeally. He can't be measured in a lab. And, and sometimes this can be frustrating. Um, God, in his wisdom, which is above my wisdom has chosen not to be known that way. Like I said, he's not a vending machine. And I mean, it, it, sure, that seems absurd when you put it that way, but, but how many times have I beaten myself up? I, I know I've done this anyway, I don't know about you. But I've beaten myself up in my spiritual journey at various times, having persuaded myself for some reason, because it's not scriptural, but having persuaded myself that some lack of victory that I had or some failing that I had was due to my not being holy enough or, or my not being earnest enough or passionate enough or, or feeling that somehow if I, had, if I had prayed one more time, you know, I would have gotten what, what I felt like I wanted. 
God is in heaven, and whether or not we like it, he does whatever pleases him. He is the one who is in control. And in verses 4 through 7, But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. The false gods are simply that. They are false. Well, to be sure, um, not many of us in North America will actually bow down and worship a carved or molded image. Um, I don't imagine that I have to persuade anyone um, that our culture has its gods just as certainly. You know, money, power, influence, comfort, reputation, even morality. Um, these can be things that we are at times tempted to dedicate. They're things to which we are sometimes tempted to dedicate our primary energies, things that, that would threaten to take the place of God. And sometimes they can appear to be real and worthwhile, but they aren't. They sometimes look as though they might be able to satisfy, but they can't. They are unable to deliver the kind of satisfaction that they seem to promise. And, and in verse 8, the psalmist says, those who make them will be like them, and so, who will all, so, and so will all who trust in them. If we chase after vacuum, we get vacuum. If we chase after nothing in particular, we'll, we'll catch it every time. You know, even if we are pursuing um, money or position or power with our whole heart, with, with all our energy, the best possible outcome that we could hope for is that we would actually get it. And then what? Or maybe that's the worst possible outcome, I don't know. But ultimately, it's only God who satisfies, and pursuit of things other than God will ultimately leave us voiceless, senseless, powerless, and ultimately going nowhere with regard to all of the things that truly matter. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord, for he is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. God is help and shield, he is protection for the house of Israel. Now that was Israel, that was the name that God gave to Jacob, the name that was ultimately given to his descendants, given to the chosen people of God. But according to John 1 and John 15, um, this term applies to any of us who enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so we are therefore entreated in, in this passage to put our trust in the Lord. He is help and shield for the house of Aaron. Now Aaron, um, some of you would, would know, some of you might not know, but he was the first high priest of the nation of Israel. And it was to his descendants that that role fell. Um, the house of Aaron, then, is a, is a reference to the priesthood. Um, and, and while it may not be entirely comfortable uh, to think of yourself as a, as a priest, I mean, uh, I work, I work part-time at a church, and I, I sometimes feel intimidated by the weight of that kind of a title. But, but, but priest is a term simply for one who intercedes for people 
and then blesses them. But according to 1 Peter chapter 2, to Revelation chapter 1 and other places through Scripture, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, <coughs> excuse me, we as his followers are made to be a kingdom of priests. We are therefore exhorted in that context too to put our trust in God. And then again, all who fear the Lord, all followers of God are exhorted to put their trust in the Lord. Um, it, it, it may be that I'm, I'm, maybe jo I'm just reading a little bit too much into what might just be a repetition as a poetic device. But it seems to me that, that by telling us to trust God in this way, as the house of Israel, the house of Aaron, the all who fear the Lord, we are being invited to trust in God as the house of Israel, to trust him to help, to help us to be his church. We are to trust in God as the house of Aaron, to trust him to help us as we seek to be a blessing to our world. To trust in God as one who fears him, to trust him in our individual walk with him. At any rate, we're, we're three times exhorted to put our trust in God. And it says, the, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, by way of contrast with those that we saw in verse 8, who become like their, like their voiceless, unseeing, unhearing, unsmelling, powerless, going-nowhere gods, um, followers of the living God are blessed, three times protected, three times blessed. We're blessed small and great alike. Small and great alike. In, the, in, this, in this phrase, we're again reminded like we see so often in Scripture, that the blessing promised will not always necessarily look like the world's idea of blessing. It doesn't say, after all, you will become great. It says that even the small will be blessed. What it comes down to is that, is that we are blessed with the presence of God himself and granted legacy, too, if we will but trust him. And the psalm ends by saying, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. It is to us here below to praise God. In doing so, we, um, as we've already sung today, join with the choir of angels and saints who from the beginning have praised him above. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you just a couple of my thoughts now on this passage. And it seems to me that the whole idea of this psalm seems to turn on the relatively simple statement in verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Sometimes we can, we can spend um, a great deal of our energy trying to understand God or to try to explain God to those who do not yet know him or even to try to 
sort of explain God's ways to ourselves. Um, now, I'm not trying to suggest that these aren't noble pursuits, but it can sometimes be rendered difficult by the fact that, that God is God. And as such, he doesn't always operate the way we would want him to or the way we would expect him to. He doesn't always do what we want. And he, he most certainly doesn't always do the, what the world would want him to do or operate in the, world, the way, the manner in which the world feels like he should operate. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with, with praying to God and asking him for things and letting our requests be known to him. There's nothing wrong with sharing our desires for ourselves and for the world and for the people we love to God. And in fact, he, he really wants us to. We're told to do that throughout Scripture. We're even encouraged elsewhere in Scripture to be persistent to, to, in making our requests known to God. And furthermore, we, we read through the Psalms that, that, that it becomes evident as we read through the Psalms that, that God finds it perfectly acceptable for us to be disappointed and even angry with him when he doesn't act in the way we want him to act. However, when, when we either explicitly or even just in our hearts, when we try to make our requests a requirement for God, or if we try to make, or, or if we make God behaving in a particular way in accordance with how we believe he ought to act, some sort of a condition for our belief, or of our accepting him as God, or, or of our accepting his lordship, that's when we get a problem. That's when we have a problem. When we do that, um, we are, whether or not we realize it, trying to unseat God from his rightful place on the throne of the universe. And, and that's a problem in at least a couple of ways. First of all, it's It's foolish because we can't unseat God. Um, all praise to him. The, the reign of God is from eternity past and will go on to eternity future. God has no rival. There is no threat to his throne. While we are given power from God to accept him or to, or to refuse his lordship in our lives, our acceptance or our rejection of him does not alter the fact that he rules. So if we try to unseat God from his place on the throne of the universe, it's foolish. But, but secondly, it's sin. Um, it's idolatry and it's pride, plain and simple. I, I mean, that, that was the original sin of, of Satan, the, the enemy of our souls. When he fell from, from heaven, he tried to usurp God. That was the original sin of, of, of Adam and Eve believing that, that since God didn't want them to eat the fruit, you know, he wasn't since God wasn't behaving in the way that they wanted him to, they were going to reject his authority and go their own way. This was the sin of the Pharisees at the foot of the cross. You know, having crucified Jesus, nailed him to the wood to execute him, they said, well, he saved others, let him save himself. In other words, if you behave in a way that we believe God would behave in this situation, then we'll believe in you. It, it's the root of almost all sin today, even. 
You know, I, I refuse to adhere, if, if I refuse to adhere to what I know to be the promptings of the Spirit in my own, in my own heart, or to the explicit teachings of Scripture, because, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I believe that I'll somehow be better off doing things my own way. You know, I, I mean, I know that's not true, but in the moment, in some way, large or small, um, God is not behaving in the way that I think he should behave, and so I fail to trust him. That's the root of almost all my sin. The fact of the matter is that God does not always do what we want. He is in heaven, and he does what pleases him. And I know for myself, and that for some of you, whether it's, it's for short moments or for, for long seasons, that can sometimes cause us to doubt him, to doubt his, his power, to doubt his goodness, or, or, even, or even to doubt his very existence. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Some of you would be familiar with um, Fyodor Dostoevsky's classic book, The, the Brothers Karamazov. Um, if, you're, if you are, you'll remember a, a memorable scene um, where Alyosha, a, a novice monk, uh, tells a peril, parable to his brother Ivan, who is a skeptic. And in this parable that Alyosha tells, uh, Jesus returns to earth, you know, to Seville, Spain, you know, in the middle of the, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, didn't expect that, did you? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Um, anyhow, the manner in which Jesus acts and the miracles he performs cause many to believe in him and to follow him. But when the Grand Inquisitor of the Spanish Inquisition gets wind of this, he promptly has Jesus arrested and placed in prison and sentenced to death. I don't remember, um, I don't remember, it might have been uh, burning at the stake. But, but at any rate, he's sentenced to death. Um, but the, thank you. The, the night before Jesus is to be executed, the inquisitor visits Jesus in his cell and tells him that the church doesn't need him anymore. He denounces Jesus in a manner that is designed to parallel the three temptations of Christ by Satan in the wilderness. And, and much has been made um, by literary scholars and philosophers and theologians about the significance of this, this passage in Dostoevsky. But the thing I've always been struck by is this, that in essence, the accusation being leveled against Jesus by the Inquisitor is that he has somehow done a disservice to the church by making himself too easy to not believe in. You know, he could have turned stones to bread he could have cast himself down from the top of the temple. You know, surely everyone would have believed in him if he had done all of these things, but he didn't. <laughs> the funny thing is, even in this parable that Alyosha tells his brother, Jesus doesn't answer, but, but rather he, he, he responds to the inquisitor with a gentle kiss on the cheek. And I guess what I'm saying is this. Um, Sometimes that kind of doubt that stems from disappointment in God, sometimes it can be just part of the journey. 
you know, and, and I guess I just don't want you to beat yourself up when, when that happens from time to time. I want to encourage you um, if you're struggling with doubt or if you have loved ones that are struggling with doubt. I mean, even, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he acknowledges this, at least indirectly. The Apostle Paul, in searching for the antithesis of faith, comes, out with, comes up with sight. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Rather, the opposite of faith is certainty. I just want to encourage you in your journey, even if, if you're in that place right now, um, I just want to encourage you, even if it seems a little lower than the ingenuous ideal, to invite God into those places of unbelief in your spirit. You know, I too wish that I didn't have these occasional doubts. Um, but God can use even our doubts if we'll allow them to cause us to lean closer to him. As I've been saying in the words of verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But here's the good news. What pleases him is to bless people. He does bless us and protect us. Even when that blessing, that protection, doesn't look the way we might want it to look. I mean, even as John was telling us a couple of weeks ago, um, sometimes the blessings of God can take unexpected forms, can take on forms that we would never, ever choose for ourselves. Thus, the exhortation to put our trust in God, to put our trust in the Lord, is an encouragement to believe in God's goodness even though we cannot see it. Frustration with God in the midst of our dark seasons is okay. But true faith, as commended to us at the end of this psalm, is to trust him, to trust him nonetheless, to serve him nonetheless, to worship him nonetheless. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence, it is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless all those who fear the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, band, come on up and we'll... We'll close with a song. devoted like a ring of solid gold like a vow that is tested 
So there are refreshments at the back. And if you would like to receive prayer, you can always come forward to receive that. Um, but for now, please receive the benediction. May the God who is the God of all grace grant you this grace. That as you go from here, you might ever walk in submission. In submission to his love. In submission to his wisdom. In submission to his great power. Throughout all, throughout all of your feelings and your doubt and your trust in everything. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.